Welcome back to the Borough Shire Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaught, and I'm here with my best friend, Father Blake Britton. Blake, good to see you. Good to see you as always, brother. Now, we've done two episodes now, two in the books, and we've been getting good feedback. I know lots of people are watching and enjoying this, and it makes us super happy to learn that. We mentioned in the first episode how a lot of these topics are going to revolve around the four pillars of priestly formation. So when priests go through Mm -hmm. seminary, their uh, formation is kind of tied to these four different pillars, but they really apply to any Catholics in general. And remind me what they were, again, Father Blake, because in a specific order. Again, these come from St. John Paul II's pastoral letter entitled Pastotus Dava Vobis for the formation of priests, but they're just applicable to all Christians. So you have the human dimension. So this notion of forming ourselves as human beings that are fully alive in the light and the joy of Christ Jesus. You have the spiritual dimension, which is forming the depths of our soul. That's especially a human capacity, this notion to be spiritual. Thirdly, you have the intellectual dimension, so this forming of the gift of our rationality. And finally, we have the pastoral dimension, which is really, and it was summarized like this for me in seminary, I think, in such a wonderful way, that the pastoral dimension is how to put into practice the human, spiritual, and intellectual. So how do we make practical the human, spiritual, and intellectual dimensions of our Christianity? So most of the episodes here will typically fall into one of those buckets. They'll align with one of the pillars, and especially the topic we're going to be talking about today, which is Catholic and intellectual, mm. Catholic and intellectual. Now, I know Great for a lot, of, a lot of people, especially outside the church, these would be like antonyms, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. be Catholic and intellectual. To be Catholic means... You know, you just believe superstitious, pre-scientific, mumbo-jumbo. You're totally credulous. You believe whatever the Pope and the Church tells you. You you know, you have to shut your mind off at the door. I remember talking to Bishop Barron pretty early on when we first met each other, maybe like a decade ago. And from that moment all the way to today, the drum that he keeps beating is how problematic it's been for the Church that we've dumbed down the faith. He said, you know, it started right after the Second Vatican Council, not because of the council, but right after the council, that we sort of threw our intellectual patrimony out the door. We, we didn't emphasize yeah. uh, theology, philosophy, apologetics, art, you know, all the intellectual disciplines of the faith. And the purpose, you know, these were well-intentioned people. They thought, look, if we, if we bring the faith down a few notches, then it'll be more palatable to people. It'll be more accessible. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to understand it. They won't be put off by these, you know, high abstract ideas and theology and stuff like that. But as Bishop Barron routinely emphasizes, it's been a pastoral disaster. We've seen yeah. this, especially in the number of people that have left the church. I'm thinking of people in our generation, Father Blake, millennials that have left mm-hmm. the church because of its perceived intellectual deficiencies. They leave yeah. saying like, you know, I, you know, I was, I went through Catholic school. I went all the way through 12th grade. I went through catechism classes and all that. And, and basically the only things that they believe are that, you know, Jesus is a good guy and he wants you to be a nice person mm-hmm. and probably everybody goes to heaven. That was the intellectual depth that they were given. And so it's no surprise then somebody delivered that decides to lead the church. So with that problem in mind, this intellectual crumbling over the last 50 years, we wanted to devote this discussion on what it means to be a true Catholic and an intellectual, why those things are so connected and important. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real tragedy. You're absolutely right. Uh, I actually met with someone recently at the parish, 
and there's someone who claimed to be an atheist. And when I asked them, why are you an atheist? I always, you know, enjoy entering into that dialogue. Why are you an atheist? He said, well, I'm not going to believe some old man with a beard in the skies controlling our lives. And this is such an immature understanding of Christianity in general, but of course, God in particular, especially considering the sophisticated arguments uh, for God and understanding of who God is from Thomas Aquinas, Albert the Great, and others. So I really do see, and I agree with Bishop Barron 100%, this is most certainly an area where he has thrived in particular, but I do agree that this is one of the great missions of the millennial generation of Catholics is to reintroduce into the world the great Catholic intellectual tradition and the genius and totality that lies at that tradition to address all of our contemporary issues and all these most ancient human desires. Maybe let's talk about the roots of those two words. This was something hmm. new to me, but you and I had some discussions about the etymology of both Catholic and intellectual and their connections. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned before, I love the study of words. I'm sure that my, the people in my parish must be tired of it <laughs> because every single homily, I'm just going in and diving into, you know, this is the Greek origin of that word and the Latin origin of that word. They're like, okay, Father, just tell me what it means, you know? But, um, and it doesn't help that last night, actually, I was reading the Cimmerillion uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien and edited, of course, by Christopher Tolkien. And just Tolkien himself was such an unbelievable etymologist diving into the roots of words of, you know, fairy and, and elf and all. The, and I just, I was eating it up, something I think most people would not find fascinating. But etymology is another study that we really have to recapture because it helps us understand the origin of words, but not just the origin of words, but the thought and the philosophy that led to the development of these words, which then give us a greater appreciation of the whole. So on that note, these two words, Catholic intellectual. So the word Catholic comes from the Greek word katholos or katholikos, which means according to the whole. Typically, it would be defined as universal. And not that that is incorrect, but it's not a complete definition. So again, properly speaking, what it means to be Catholic is not to be in one particular denomination. So some people, when I say the word Catholic, most people think baptized Catholics, the Catholic Church, a denomination of Christianity. But that's not actually what the word Catholic means, even according to the first Christians. The first Christians wouldn't have called themselves Catholics. They called themselves Christians, but they were members of the Catholic Church, meaning the church that speaks according to the whole mystery of Christianity, the church that encompasses the whole of the Christian mystery. So that word Catholic, again, means according to the whole. It's the truth that speaks to the entirety of reality. Then that word intellectual, there's a difference between being intellectual and being smart. So nowadays, if I say the word intellectual, most people would think that means I'm a really smart guy. You know, I could solve complicated mathematical equations or, you know, a doctor would be smart, uh, an aerospace engineer. I live on the space coast, so we have a lot of aerospace engineers. These, these people are smart. Smartness and intelligence are two very different things. The word intelligence comes from two Latin words, inted and legere. Inted means between, to be between something. Legere means to read or, or to discern, like to read into. In other words, to be intelligent means that there's a capacity within your soul that's been actualized, which allows you to really dive into the very depths of reality, to really to struggle with and to comprehend the most complex and deep questions of our existentiality, of what it means to exist. That's what it means to be intelligent. So it doesn't mean just to be able to say two plus two equals four, that's being smart. But to be intelligent is to be able to ask the question, why am I? This is among the most ancient of human questions. One of the most 
of course, primal human gifts is intelligence to ask the deeper questions of existence and reality. So when we say to be Catholic and intellectual, what we mean now, and this is just the most beautiful thing about it, what we mean is that we are beings which are diving into the whole truth of what it means to exist, the whole truth of existence and reality. That is to be Catholic intellectuals. Um, and that's just such a profound thing to take into consideration. You know, it strikes me hearing the etymological roots of those words that not everybody is called to be a scholar. Not everyone's mm -hmm. called to be super smart. Not everyone's called to be a doctor or an engineer, mm -hmm. but everyone's called to be an intellect in yes. the sense that you just described, that we're all made to read into the deepness of things. You know, I, we talked a little bit before the episode about how this reminds me of Plato's idea, Plato's conception of the human person. A man yeah. is a rational animal, meaning he's mm -hmm. an animal. He shares the same animal instincts as other animals. But what really distinguishes him is his ability to abstract, to, to look at, say, a bunch of trees and from them extract right. treeness, you know, what a tree right. is. And so he's able to, to look at, the, at nature and read into it, read between it, if you will, and right. and think about it in an intellectual way. Would you say, would you say it's right that everybody is called to be an intellectual? Almost oh, certainly. And and you're referring there to Aristotle as well. Of course, Aristotle is one of the the main thinkers who who brings that to the fore. But absolutely, every single human being are made in God's likeness and image. Ergo, therefore, they have the capacity to be intellectual, meaning to really read into the depths of reality. So. This is exemplified, I think, in a profound way by Christ himself. There are two ways we can say the word life in Greek, bios or zoe. And I'm thinking specifically of the Gospel of John. And when Jesus comes and he says, I kind of bring you life and life to the fullest, he does not use the word bios. He doesn't come to give us merely superficial biological life. He does not just come to give us a life of mere existence. But he comes to give a zoe. What that means in Greek is a super abundant life, a life that goes to the very depths of being in reality. That's the kind of life that Christ has come to give us. But yet the majority of persons I would claim nowadays, and I know this is a bold claim, but I feel comfortable saying it, that the majority of people are breathing but not living. There's a difference between those two things. The majority of people are biologically existing and sort of go through, from one appetite to another and allow this to stimulate and drive their decisions, as opposed to deeply contemplating their existence and discerning why am I, what is my purpose, and how am I called to interact with the reality of history where I find myself. In other words, the reality of the world that I'm living in. Well, let's talk a little bit about Catholic intellectual history. It's one thing just to discuss <laughs> it in the abstract. What does it mean to be an intellect? The fact that everybody's called to be an intellect. I think something that surprised me when I converted to the Catholic Church was I almost like received a key that opened up this patrimony of Catholic yeah. art, philosophy, architecture, music, literature that it had been closed off to me as a Protestant Christian, not because they rejected it, but they kind of shunned it. They kind of just kind of tucked right. it in the corner and they didn't trumpet it. Um, especially I read the book, I think you've read this too, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization by oh, Thomas yeah. Wood. Yeah. Um, Funny story about that real quick, Brandon. So my brother was home recently and ran into Thomas Woods at a restaurant. 
and he saw him. And I actually, I never told you this. I meant to tell you this. It's so funny. My brother saw him and recognized him because my brother, my younger brother, I'm the oldest of four kids. My youngest brother also read that book and went up to him and he said, are you Thomas C. Woods? And, and Tom was like, yeah, how do you recognize me? He said, my brother's a priest and we've read your book and da, 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 da. So this interesting little side note. Apparently, he's a pretty cool guy. I've never had a chance to meet him yet. That's funny. But, Authors uh, aren't used to being recognized, you know, like a TV guy or radio guy, but like an author, you never expect someone to walk up and say like, did you write this book? Right. <laughs> but anyway, that book opened up for me. I read it right around the time of my conversion. And I remember reading it and seeing all of the Catholic Church's contributions to science, yeah. to philosophy, to architecture, to economics, to government, across the board. I mean, it was some of the greatest intellectual achievements in the history of the West were, mm -hmm. were given not just by people who happened to be Catholic, but were given either through the Catholic Church or they were given by people who were driven by the Catholic ethos. It was their Catholicism yeah. that produced these great things. It was the fuel inside that was powering their, their engine. Talk a little bit about the history of the Catholic yeah. intellectual world. Well, the main presupposition, the main reality that, that led to Catholic intellectualism was the incarnation. What that means is that God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. See, in God becoming flesh, what God himself claims is that the world is worth knowing, that the, that the world is worth it, that immersing yourself into reality, the way that the son has immersed himself, of course, that wonderful Greek word that is used is kenosis, this pouring out. God literally pours himself out into the person of Christ, into this humanity. St. Paul even goes so far as to claim, he who became sin itself for us so that we might receive the grace and salvation of the Father. So the main presupposition of Catholic intellectualism is the incarnation, the fact that God has made his judgment on the world, and that judgment was, it is good. He reiterates the judgment that he gave in the book of Genesis. After he creates the world, he says, truly, all these things are good. And in his becoming flesh, he himself, in the person of Christ, reaffirms that acclamation. It is good. In other words, dive into the mysteriousness of this world that you find yourself in. Dive into, into every adventure, understand the very depths of its being because it's worth knowing and it's worth exploring. So the first Catholic intellectuals, and I think here especially of the first and second generation of Christians whom we call the church fathers, and of course that goes on for several centuries after that, but the church fathers are these first group of men and and also there are several women, I think, of also the Desert Mothers, for example, and some of their amazing writings. This first group of men and women who really start trying to understand and start wrestling with the deepest questions of existence now in the light of Christ. And of course, from that is born a plethora of phenomenal works. I think immediately of St. Augustine's Confessions. There are few works in human history, not just Christian history, in human history that are as raw and as realistic, as human, as that particular work. And I know Word on Fire has just recently published an outstanding translation of that book, which I strongly suggest. Um, I've read, at this point, three or four translations of Augustine, and that really is the best one I've found, I've found so far. Um, but you see it, for example, in someone like, like Augustine. And he's not just asking questions about, should we love Jesus? You know, this is like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The questions that he's really struggling with are, what is time? What is eternity? Uh, how, how do we relate to the divine? Um, is my humanity good? 
Is there evil in the world and is there good in the world? Why is there evil in the world? So these are really serious questions that even nowadays people are trying to understand and to answer while they're asking that. Now, of course, as history goes on, those questions become more and more complex, leading even to the medieval scholastics, the prince of whom is St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the great scholars of history, and that going, of course, forward to the other great intellectuals moving uh, throughout church history. So even recently, you have someone like Monsignor George, who I can never say his last name properly because <laughs> my French is not up to par, but, um, but his his development of the Big Bang Theory, you have Father Gregor Mendel and his contribution to the field of, of genetics. Um, and even here locally, it's really cool to point out that the director of Kennedy Space Center, where I am, is a Catholic. The vice president is a Catholic. And the senator who oversees the astronaut memorial program is a Catholic. So in even one of the scientific hubs of our country, it's all being organized and supported by Catholics who enjoy the scientific endeavor, this endeavor to understand the universe and unlock its secrets. So this is a very proud history that we have to really accustom ourselves to. I'm kind of struck by the fact that for a lot of people today, they look around, say, the academic landscape and they see the, so, the so-called smartest people in the world today working in the sciences, the technologies, the mathematics, the engineering, things like that. They don't think that like a super smart person would be interested in religion or right. philosophy. Like that's not quite at the same level. And it reminds me too of a of a story I recently heard from a priest friend of mine. He gave uh, like an hour long in depth talk on a on a serious but not technical theological subject. It was to a bunch of lay people, mm -hmm. right? But it was it was intellectual, it was high level. And then afterwards, someone came up to him and said, "Father, that was a great talk, but you know." All that stuff, like all that theology and all that highfalutin language, you know, it's so far over our heads. Like I, he said, when I was listening to your talk, I couldn't help but thinking that Jesus would be listening to your talk and just shaking his head and thinking, <laughs> you know, what I came to bring was so simple and so down to earth and you're trying to raise it like way up here. And right. my priest friend, he laughed and he said, you know, what I wanted to just tell him was, man, brother, ha have you read, say, the letter to the Romans? Or have you read right. like any of the early church fathers? Have you read Augustine or Anselm or Thomas Aquinas or Chesterton or Newman or Ratzinger? You know, we have this 2000 year tradition of thinking deeply about theology. In fact, that's my one of my favorite Chesterton quotes. He says, um, theology is just thinking seriously about religion. Or he yeah. says something like, theology yeah. is only thought applied to religion. So it's yeah. like, why would we not think about theological questions as deeply and meticulously and reading into them or reading through them per your etymology as we do all these other fields? Like no one goes up yeah. to a scientist and says, yeah. Oh, come on. Why are you making things so needlessly complex? And you're getting all to the nitty gritty of the micro, you know, biological level. And you're just making confusing statements. I can't understand all that. Just make it simple. You know, mm -hmm. nobody says that about any other field except right. religion and theology. Seriously, I mean, if we were to say that about medicine, could you imagine if my brain surgeon is simple, I don't want him doing brain surgery on right. me. <laughs> right. Well, we don't need to go down to the mechanics of neurology. You know, we just have to understand that the brain is in the head and I'll take it from there. Right, <laughs> right, right. We don't okay. we don't accept well, that sort of anti-intellectualism for any other discipline. That's my point. But for yeah. religion, it, religion has for many people become 
it's kind of just like a personal pastime, maybe a subjective preference. So we don't need to devote as much intellectual energy to it. Just like I wouldn't devote much intellectual energy to like my favorite ice cream flavors or my favorite sports teams. Right. That's not the level religion's at. And this is specifically true in the United States of America. Remember that we are the brainchild of the enlightenment. I mean, our country in particular is the great experiment of the enlightenment. Here you have our founding fathers who themselves were very much influenced by Immanuel Kant. And I'm sure in later episodes, we could maybe dive more deeply into that. Again, not to be too abstract about Immanuel Kant and some of these other modern and postmodern philosophers, but this assertion that the human intellect, the human rationality, that the subject, meaning me, that religion is, is in that realm. So religion is not an objective reality, but it's a purely, merely, simply subjective reality. And if it happens to work for you, then it happens to work for you. Uh, this is, of course, nowadays epitomized in this notion of separation between church and state. So the church has no role to say, has no right to say anything about how the government is ran. But that's a, a non-holistic way of thinking. Now, of course, I'm not advocating here for any sort of church domination of state in any way, shape, or form. But there is something to be said that what the church studies, what the church understands, the wisdom which, that the church possesses is not a purely subjective wisdom. It's an objective wisdom that has positive influence on subjective persons. So this wisdom that we've received as a church, these questions that we struggle with for two millennia, they have reaped fruit that can be applied and can be beneficial to the entirety of the human species because they speak about the most important truth of all, which is our origin, our creator, our God who loves us and who, who, saint, who sustains us and holds us in being, and that that God has taken a form which we can relate to personally in the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. So these are the, the important topics and questions, but again, we don't dive into those. What I found amazing here at the parish is that my homilies typically are very deep. And although there's maybe a tendency to criticize those kind of homilies, if I can be frank with you, I've received zero negative feedback from the people about them. I'm quoting the Church Fathers. I'm quoting the Summa, the Summa Theologica. I'm going through all these heavy-hitting theological concepts. Again, not in an arrogant or airy way, but in a very passionate, joyous way, because I'm excited about the wisdom that I'm sharing. And the people of God lap it up. They love it. They absolutely, and they say, Father, we wish that we had more homilies and teachings like this. This is what we're thirsting for, is this kind of depth. I never knew the church had these kind of understandings of things. Uh, yeah, so it's a really, it's a beautiful thing to introduce people to. I've had the same exact experience, both myself and seeing it among my friends and family. There's such a hunger for the intellectual depth of the faith because it was never presented to most Catholics as they were growing up in the church. And so when they discover it in a homily or a Bishop Barron video or a new book or something like that, it's like water in the desert. They, they just realize this is what I long for. I long for these depths. I'm not satisfied with, you know, shallow religion. I want to go all the way down yeah. to the intellectual depths. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's spend the rest of the episode on, more practical recommendations on how to enter into these intellectual depths. Um, so we've mm -hmm. kind of already established that the Catholic Church is a smart religion. I would argue mm -hmm. it's one of the smartest, if not the smartest, because it's thought most carefully and meticulously about the most important questions. So we have yeah. 2,000 years of intellectual search and study and work. So how do we tap into that? And, and Father Blake and I have uh, a few recommendations of our own. So first mm -hmm. of all, 
we're both bibliophiles. We both love books. So we'll probably yes. get that right out of the way here. Maybe some good <laughs> books that we'll recommend to people. Um, first of all, I'd recommend the one we just talked about earlier, Thomas Wood's book titled How the Catholic Church Built Western yeah. Civilization. And it's not a triumphalistic book as in, hey, look you know, how great the Catholic Church did. We exclusively built everything and nobody else contributed anything. Right. It's, it's a fairly <laughs> balanced and temperate view. And he's quoting secular historians left and right. But by the end, you realize this magnificent scope of contribution that Catholics as individuals and then the Catholic Church in general and Catholicism and its ethos have given to the West. So if you want a sampling of the entire 2,000-year contribution of the Church in the intellectual realm, that'd be my first recommended book. What do you think? Yeah. I agree. It's a very easy read as well. So I read that when I was in high school, that particular book, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and so I would strongly encourage others to please do the same. It's a great first step into studying the origins of Catholic intellectualism. And so a couple more book recommendations. Um, Bishop Barron actually has his own list of recommended books, which are his favorite books in theology, philosophy, literature, art, I think. There's a couple other ones. Uh, but you can download that list by going to wordonfire.org books, and that'll download a PDF with his whole recommended book list. So that'll give you a wide sampling of the Catholic mm -hmm. intellectual tradition. And then on my blog, I have a list of the 100 best Catholic books of all time. Uh, the URL is pretty long, so I'll just include a link to it here in the podcast notes. But that, again, breaks some of these books up into categories like uh, theology, spiritual life, literature, classics. Um, so again, another even bigger sampling of the Catholic intellectual tradition up and down the ages. But I know, yeah. Father Blake, you recommend beyond just books, you recommend that Catholics get cultured, get culture. Yes. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And thank you for mentioning that, because that's something I think is even more important than it, than starting to read a series of books. So the series of books are absolutely vital. But first, there needs to be a development of a particular disposition or attitude towards truth that's really important. So this Catholics have always been men and women of culture. What that means is that Catholic intellectualism is more than just learning data and more than learning facts. Remember, that's being smart. Catholic intellectualism is recapturing a sense of wonder about the world. And I could say that's one of the most tragic things that's been lost in modernity and post-modernity is that we've lost a sense of wonder. The amount of people that I have to do pastoral counseling and spiritual direction with, and even in the confessional, that they say, Father, I just feel like my life isn't worth, worth living anymore. I feel like the world is an ugly place. Father, I don't think this the world's a wonderful place anymore. So just to help restore the wonder. So what's always been unique about Catholicism and Catholics in particular is that we have always been fascinated with the world. Fasc we're blown away by it. A lily blooming in the field is something that we would write an epic poem about. You know, seeing a, a bird soar over our head would be the stuff of symphonies. So becoming a cultured person, I think, is also very important to becoming a good intellectual. What I mean by that is exposing yourself to these contributions of high culture, classical music, specifically symphonies and operas. I think every single Catholic, I'm not saying that you have to become an opera lover. I mean, I, I was a professional opera singer before I went to seminary, so obviously I'm a little biased towards opera. I love opera. I think it really is the epitome of the performing arts genre. But opera, whether you like it or not, objectively is a beautiful, profound culture thing and something that we should love. You know, symphonies, 
Um, classical art pieces, Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo da Vinci, and even some more modern artists such as Picasso. Um, reading, of course, text outside of just these, these texts that we're recommending, but culture text. My favorite work, really literary work of all time, and of course the Bible and things like that are, are in a different category, but my favorite just general world literature work is Beowulf, which is an epic poem uh, written in this Danish-British style. Um, and I just, I've read it so many times I lost count. I just reread Beowulf over and over and over again. That a close second would probably be Dante's Divine Comedy. So a- acquainting yourself with these, with these gems of world literature and poetry, acquainting yourself with the Mozart, Bach, um, acquainting yourself with Michelangelo and Picasso, really just surrounding your personage surrounding your home, surrounding your children for those of you who are parents. I always suggest this to parents, have classical music playing in the background when your kids are playing with toys, you know, as they're growing up. Is there sacred art around your home? Buy prints of Michelangelo's judgment. Buy prints of Raphael's dis, uh, dis, uh, dissertation on the Eucharist. Um, buy these different things and put them up around your home and let your children become familiarized with these great contributions of Catholic culture. So yeah, I think that's really, really important. To, um, to recognize as well and to, to allow to really form our, our intellectualism. You know, it just strikes me that it's never been easier or cheaper than it is now to become cultured. And by yeah. that, I mean, you mentioned like hanging artwork on your wall by getting prints. You can go online to sites like the Metropolitan Museum of Art and download high resolution images of all of their artwork for free. They offer it yeah. for free. So you could download these beautiful works of art frame them pretty cheaply, get it printed at your local copy shop. And, you know, for a few bucks, put gorgeous art all around your house. And then I'm thinking with music, you know, music between Spotify or Pandora, or iTunes, yeah. <laughs> whatever you listen, you have access to the greatest music that's ever been composed and played in the history of the world right at your fingertips. So we're talking about shaping the mind, stirring the soul, intellectual formation, I mean, between music, art, and libraries and everything, it's just never been easier or cheaper to become an intellectual. Yeah, yeah, and there, it, absolutely. So submersing yourself into this kind of culture. And then that needs to be accompanied by a discipline and a willingness to commit to, to isolated times of study. What I mean by that is actually sitting down and patiently going through a work so one of the downfalls, so one of the plus sides of technology is the fact that we have so much access to data. One of the downsides is that we've lost the sense of suffering for being patient with learning the data. So we're used to, for example, in before Wikipedia, if we wanted to learn something about George Washington, we would have to go and actually look through an encyclopedia that would take, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And we have to read the article. Maybe that's another 20 or 30 minutes. And then the, the knowledge is earned by us. There's a reason why the word patient is rooted in the Greek word pathos, which means to suffer, right? So there's this suffering that's intelligent. When I say suffer, I, I mean in the sense of Aragon when he, <laughs> when he approaches the, you know, the Lord of the dead under the mountain, he says, you will suffer me. What he means by that is to, to bear, to bear with it. Um, and so there's, there's an amount of suffering that goes along with true intellectualism as well, this bearing with, this discipline, this devotion to having dedicated times of, of study and sitting with a text and really gnawing at it, chewing upon it, to go through the Lord of the Rings, to go through one of the questiones, one of the questions of Thomas Aquinas, to really go through and read the poetry of Beowulf. And it may be, and I just want to give a word of encouragement. It may be difficult sometimes for some of our listeners or viewers 
because they're like, you know, Father Blake, Brandon, that's great. You've been reading, you love this kind of stuff. But, but for me, it's like, it's hard for me to sit down and read Beowulf, you know, when I'm used to just scrolling through an article on my, on my iPhone or on Reddit or something like that, you know? Yes, I admit to that. That doesn't mean it isn't worth working towards. And the fruit and the benefits that come from that, from actually sitting with and at first sort of struggling with the text, but then eventually becoming just like riding a bicycle, you become more and more uh, um, acclimated to it and eventually become something that's enjoyable to you. So I know for you and I, Brandon, I mean, we literally look forward to being by ourselves sometimes just to sit down and read a good book. You know? <laughs> so like last night when I had like, you know, 45 an hour minute, an hour of free time and I sit down and read the Cimmerillion, I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know. Um, so we hope that that's something others and more Catholics will acquire too. Yeah, I think of it like sports, you know, like sports, if you want to get good at a particular sport, it's hard and it requires patience. Yeah. And anybody can just grab a basketball and run out in their driveway with their hoop and just start throwing it around, you know, and maybe you'll get lucky every 10 throws you'll make it in the basket and that could be so you basically just described how I, play <laughs> I mean when I said anyone I meant father Blake could just throw the ball in there <laughs> no but I mean and there's there's a certain fun to that to getting in the game and just getting your hands on the ball and playing around however you want you know but like if you want to be even halfway decent you're going to have to spend some time and some of that will involve drills that you might not like more of it likely will involve just playing games like getting into the game yeah. and playing and playing and playing and you develop the skills that eventually lead you to enjoy it i think yeah. studying reading art music all this stuff we've been talking about it's the same way you know like growing up i wasn't i wasn't intellectually inclined toward a lot of these things I developed my taste and appreciation for them by absorbing them. The more I read, the more I love to read. You know, the first, you and I have been to a few operas now. The first opera I went to, I appreciated it, but I really didn't understand what was going on, the significance of this or that thing. But then I- While I'm sitting there- Crying. Over the and, top yeah. excited. <laughs> Wasn't that amazing? Did you hear his, his repertoire? Did you hear right. his vocal range? You're like, uh-huh, yeah. yeah right. Is there a snack bar? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but the more I would go, the more I would read about the operas before we would go, the more I'd yeah. learn about opera, suddenly you become enchanted by it. You become attracted to it. And I yeah. think that that, op that is the way the entire intellectual life works and every one of its sub-realms is there's a period at first where you just got to try it and get into it and push forward even if you're not enjoying it. But you come to start to enjoy it the more you absorb of it. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. I always equate it to um, also a relationship between a lover and a beloved, mm -hmm. or even a mother and a child. So my mother does not like basketball, but you better believe that she was my little brother's biggest basketball fan when he played on the school team and when he ended up playing in high school. She was at all the games, she would cheer for him, right? She learned to love basketball because it belonged to her lover. So it belonged to the one that she loved. It belonged to her beloved child. Just like whenever we are in a romantic relationship with someone, we learn to love what they love. You know, I remember I had a crush before when I was younger on this girl and she loved flowers. Now, I'm not like exactly a huge flower guy, you know, <laughs> but you better believe that by the end of the week, I was a florist. Because <laughs> I was like, I knew the Latin names of flowers. I knew how to save like, oh, wow. She's like, wow, you really do know that the lilacs origins are in this country in Pangea. How could you know, I not year. know that? How could I not? How, everyone knows that. I mean, come on. So we learn whenever we're for, for the other, we'll learn and acquire these things. Well, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, Christ says. Christ is the truth. Christ is beauty. Christ is goodness incarnate. So anything that is beautiful, good, or true, we should strive to learn. We should strive to love because it's rooted to our lover. It's rooted to our beloved. It's rooted to Christ the Lord, who is the one who's died for us and given us the grace of salvation. So it's worth suffering through an opera that we may not be accustomed to. It's worth sitting through and reading Beowulf or another epic poem. It's worth sitting down in silence and and spending time in prayer and contemplation, even if silence makes us uncomfortable. It's worth doing those things because in the end, they bear fruit of intimacy with the one whom we love. Hmm. Well said. Well, how about uh, one more recommendation here? We've talked about some good books to read. We've talked about art and music and uh, the performance arts. There's another book that Father Blake and I have both really benefited from and enjoyed, and it's titled The Intellectual Life, Its Mm. Spirits, Conditions, and Methods. Kind of a clunky title, but it's by a French Dominican. His name's A.G. Sertelangis. We'll have a link to the book below here. Now, fair warning, this book is meant really for people who want to pursue the intellectual life either Mm -hmm. full-time, like as a scholar, an academic, uh, as a priest, or just an educated layperson who wants to give a a significant portion of their time to these intellectual disciplines. But Mm -hmm. the reason it's so fantastic is it's a very, very practical guide Mm -hmm. in how to structure your life so as to allow these intellectual disciplines to flourish. So it talks about how to organize your life, how to develop um, the time and the research methods, how to take notes and how to better your memory and how to arrange your day and all those kinds of things. Blake, I know you, didn't you read this book maybe in seminary or something like that? I did. How did it shape you? Thank God I read it in my seminary career and it just just inspired me and streamlined me in my study. It's a fantastic work. Again, I do suggest it for anyone who really wants to be acquainted with the Catholic intellectual tradition. And what the author does in such a profound way, in my opinion, is that he gives you the reason why intellectual life is so beautiful. So the first several chapters are not so much going through methodology. That's sort of towards the end of the book. The first several chapters are just going through what does it mean to be called an intellectual, meaning what does it mean to have the vocation, the calling by God, which we all have. So you do have, once again, those sets of intellectuals that have a special vocation to scholarship. I think of someone like Bishop Barron, Hans Wunz von Balthasar, Joseph Ratzinger, Yves Congar, you know, these really heavy hitter intellectuals and thinkers. So they had a special vocation to scholarship. But in the end, every single baptized Christian is called to be intellectual, to have this depth of rationality and understanding of the truth that they could share with others. And so he goes through that understanding and really just gives it a, a beautiful, romantic, really a romantic way of speaking about it. And he's very Thomistic, which is always good. <laughs> you know, uh, he's a Dominican and uh, really just is very faithful Dominican to Thomas Aquinas. And of course, we know Thomas is, is just one of the great thinkers of our, of our tradition. So he does a great job also tying it into the Thomistic way of thinking. All right. Well, I think we've given a bunch of books to keep people busy for quite some time. And we've we I mean, we've scratched the surface a little bit about the Catholic intellectual tradition, why it's so important, how we can tap into it. Uh, Father Blake, any any final words about Catholic and intellectual? Yeah, we need more Catholic intellectuals. I would say that this is what the world is suffering the most right now is that there are not enough Catholic intellectuals. This is why our discussion on politics is so shallow. This is why our discussion on science is so shallow. This is why our discussion on anthropology, humanities, art, music, 
philosophy is so shallow. We really do not have right now, unfortunately, a large community of persons who are able to challenge and dialogue with civilization and bring them back to a deeper reflection on what it means to be, meaning what it means to exist. This is something that Catholic intellectuals can contribute to Western civilization. And now, of course, with globalism taking more of an effect, so with our globalization of the world, really throughout the world. I mean, the, the world wants to hear these truths. So I'll just advise our listeners and viewers, I strongly encourage you to please to suffer, meaning to strive your the most that you can to become as intellectual as possible. And then allow that intellectuality to flow into friendships. And I would say this is the final recipe, if you will, of being a true intellectual, developing deep intellectual friendships. So having a soul or a group of souls that you can sit down with and you can really all chew the bit, if you will. You can all really sit down and discuss and struggle and strive and go through these different intellectual uh, questions so they can be refined. So iron sharpens iron. (laughs) Allow yourself to also find someone else who's striving for the same thing and go for that together. Um, So the abode of a true intellect is always Christian friendship. So let us ask the Lord for that grace as well. Amen. And we hope we're providing at least some of that through this podcast that you can join Mm -hmm. Father Blake and I in reflecting on these things, thinking about these things. If you have any comments or questions about stuff we've discussed on this episode, leave them in the comment box below this. And we'd love to talk with you about it. So we don't want this just to be a one-way broadcast. We'd love to interact Mm -hmm. with you and, and hear from you as well. Well, thanks, guys, for checking out this new episode of the Burroughshire podcast. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another exciting topic. Thanks for watching. All right. God bless.